Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. My name is Gabe Phillips. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Life Changes. Been married to an amazing lady called Fiona for about just shy of six years. We've got two little beautiful kids. And, uh, and we are in the middle of a uh, second week of an incredible series called Eternity Matters. But to help frame this series, I'd like to take us back to the year 1976, if, if that's okay. In 1976, there were two young men who were, who were wide-eyed and misty-eyed with a dream and a vision that they were going to change the world. And uh, they had this dream, they had this vision, but they did not have any money. And they did because they were young and, uh, and in debt, they didn't have any credit with the bank to make this dream a reality. So they got a third man into this trio, uh, an older gentleman who had resources and money and said, actually, I, I can help you a part of this thing to make it off the ground. But in return, I want 10% of, of, the, of the shares. So they, 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 they acquiesced to this. They said, yes, we're going to give you the 10% shares. And uh, the, the, the problem is, so he went to the bank. He got $15,000 loan from the bank to fund this dream. But two weeks later, this third man, this older gentleman, got cold feet as he suddenly realized that actually, as he looked at the two younger guys who had the dream and the vision, but he realized that if this, this business goes barely up, I'm the one who's going to incur all the debt, and the bank are going to come and take my house and my car. So he got cold feet and actually said, guys, I'm glad I could help you get going, but I, I, I'm going to make my exit now. So he famously sold back his 10% shares to them for $800, which seemed a lot in those days, 1976. His name was Ronald Wayne. The two younger gentlemen were Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. The company was Apple. And uh, Ronald Wayne's 10% shares, they sold back for $800 to, the, at this stage, was worth $69 billion. It's painful just even thinking about it, isn't it? It's quite a Ronald Wayne. And I say that at the opening uh, moment of the this, of this sermon, because actually I think in a more significant way, we look back and we go, oh, Ronald Wayne, what are we thinking? How short-sighted of you? But I think many of us have the temptation every day to trade eternal rewards, eternal pleasures, eternal joys for temporary satisfaction now, now driven by fear and pressure and anxiety. And we're saying in this series, we're setting up this moment saying, actually, could we be a people with a new perspective, a new lens, and new practices to live our, light, our lives, not in the light of now, but in the light of eternity? That one day we wouldn't look back on our lives and go, if only I knew, just like Ronald Wayne, if only I knew the, the trajectory of that company, we don't want to be a people who one day look back from eternity and say, if only I knew. Imagine, as Mark did last week, there's a rope stretching across this, the, 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 the front of the church, from that wall to that wall, held taut in front of us. Many of us view that rope and we plan and scheme and plot our lives as if that whole rope is our life. When Mark said last week, he took us to a moment, he said, actually, there's just, there was a piece of tape the size of my, the width of my fingers here that was attached to the rope and said, in reality, according to scriptures, that rope is symbolic of eternity and our life is more like the little tape measurement there. But many of us are living our lives as if they are eternity and living eternity as if they are lives. We're actually saying we've got to get a different perspective, a different order, because the Bible calls this just a, our lives, just a breath, just a, just a watch in the night. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But our lives are supposed to be lived with eternal significance. So that's the, the efforts of the, the emphasis of the series. We, I really believe that this is going to be one of the most strategic series for you and I. If we respond in faith, I really believe that this series will change the course and trajectory of our lives if we allow the Word of God to do its work. So do you have faith this morning? Table view 1030. 
Come on, I see those six hands. Good, I'm preaching to six of you. We're going to read scripture this morning. Matthew 6, verse 24 to 33. It'll be on the screen behind me, but if you've got your Bibles, it's good to see it. In my Bible, it's written, all this text that we're reading this morning, Matthew 6, 24 to 33, is in red. Because they are Jesus' words, Jesus speaking in the first person. person. It says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and mammon. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we read your word this morning and we lean in with faith, I thank you that you are here. And you're going to war for the hearts, the futures, and the eternities of your sons and daughters here. I thank you, Father God, heighten this moment with expectation of faith so that we may respond correctly with hearts that see and understand what you're doing and lives that obey in response to it. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. This morning, we're preaching Jesus and Mammon, Jesus and Mammon and Eternity. This, we're preaching from this text in Matthew 6, quite a famous passage. It's a, it's a very central part of a, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you have a church background, you would have heard of it. But this is the very center, the very crux of that sermon, where Jesus is, his whole aim in that sermon is he's repainting humanity. He's come to put a face to God. He's come to give a new way to be human and redefine what it means to be human in light of eternity, not in light of your present day struggles and situations, but to lift their eyes further. So much so he starts off by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he's giving a new read on what it means to be human. And in this very essence, in this moment, Jesus gets to this amazing moment where he actually, he puts a, a, a stake in the ground where he says, man cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, before we talk about the, that understanding, we have to know, when I, as I read it there, your Bible might have said, uh, the, if it's the NLT or if it's the NIV or the ESV or one of the modern day translations say, God, you cannot serve both God and money. That's probably what your translation would have said. And, and money, that uh, Jesus though, didn't use the word money. He used the word mammon. For a reason. Mammon, yes, does, as you judge it down, the word money is a helpful rendering for our modern-day mind to get to grips with it, but we'll, we'll work through it together. Because money in itself is not bad. Money in itself is not evil. The, one of the most misquoted scriptures, money is the root of all evil. Wrong. The scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. 
Because actually we know in Scripture that actually it says that God gives us the ability to create wealth. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't give us that ability if, if money or resources were evil. But in this moment, Jesus is reappropriating this moment as term because actually he's not just on about money. Because money is neutral until it gets, the moment it gets into our hands and our hearts. In that moment, when money, when we receive money, Jesus is saying in that moment, there's an opportunity for you to either serve God or to serve something called mammon. Now, I want to help us understand what this means, but Jesus in this moment is saying this is not just a here and now issue. This is a heart issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is an eternal issue. You see, mammon was uh, something that happened 600 years prior to the sermon Jesus was preaching, 600 years in a foreign land called Babylon where the people of God have been taken to exile. And in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, uh, a wicked people, a people who did not serve the living one true God. But they used to erect statues that represented all the different gods that they prayed to, they sacrificed to. They had a God for every single day of the week, a God for every time of the year, every season, for every moment, everything they needed. They had a God in a physical representation, a statue, an idol, that the people would routinely come and sacrifice to. One of those was a God called Mammon which was a representation of a God from who, if they sacrificed you, that would enable them to have make wealth and provision. So routinely, the people would be in a, in a file, a single line file to go and sacrifice to the God of Mammon to make sure that the rest of the month, the rest of the year would be full and bountiful and plentiful. You see, in this moment though, Jesus used that word and, and he says, God, you cannot serve God and Mammon. I can, if you read in the text in Luke chapter 16, the similar rendering, the Pharisees got so incensed by this. They said they actually ridiculed Jesus because they can, I can imagine them. They are at this present time when they're hearing the sermon. They are not having pocket-sized idols in their home. They're not got posters of the God mammon. They're saying, no, we're in Jerusalem. We're not some archaic people. We're not those wicked people who worship foreign gods. Well, how, why would you even bring up mammon? It's got no relation to our day here. What is Jesus trying to do? Jesus is not preaching about some ma- an idol, man-made idol out of clay, wood, and, and, and stone. He's actually speaking to their very hearts. He says, actually, I'm speaking about something deeper here, not just physical representation. I'm speaking to something because actually your eyes and your hearts have become corrupted. You see, as we read on, we realize that the people of God had become crippled by anxiety, worry, and fear on this issue of provision. How do I know that? Just read the scripture. It says, you cannot serve God and mammon. The very next scripture says, therefore, do not worry about what you'll wear eat, drink, because God will provide for you. He says, unbelievers worry and fear about that thing. Jesus is a masterful teacher. It's not two disconnected thoughts. He says, man cannot either serve God or mammon. Here is the fruit of serving mammon. Your life around finances and provision will be wrecked with worry, stress, anxiety, and fear. Now this thing all of a sudden becomes very real for the people of that day, and I would suggest very real for you and I in our present situations. You see, mammon... As Jesus speaks, and, and we don't often go down this route because we too think we're a little bit sophisticated. We're beyond that. We, we, we're okay. We're ruled by the almighty dollar. We're okay in this moment or the very weak and crippled rand. No, we, as we read on, we understand that mammon is a spirit that takes what is supposed to serve the kingdom of God and instead makes us slaves that serve it. Mammon, untamed and unrecognized, demands much, but delivers very little. At the very crux of the matter, the spirit of mammon, that's not just an idol, but a spirit that, that, that attacks the people of God in this area. This spirit is the spirits of fear and greed colliding. Let me say it in this way. This is a, the spirit of mammon is when lack and excess meet. Stick with me. We're going somewhere. 
I want to ask you the question this morning, if we bring it right down to brass tacks back to home. When you think about your finances, when you think about your paycheck, when you think about your upcoming wedding, when you think about your rent that's due at the end of the month, when you think about the doctor's bills, when you think about those speeding fines that just arrived in the post that you weren't aware of, most often my wife, I'm just joking. When you suddenly hear that rattle in your car and you start to think, how the heck is my salary going to get there? When you start to think about that, that child in your, your spouse's womb and you're going, how are we going to provide? If in all those moments of provision and wealth and money, if fear, anxiety, worry, and, 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 and lack start to rise up inside of you, and I'm the first one putting up my hand, anyone else like me? According to Jesus, mammon is knocking at our door seeking to devour us. And when I say he's knocking at the door, the, the, the biblical authors who write about this, 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 this understanding, they say this. They, they say they liken the spirit of mammon to the, like, a, like a python. Doesn't announce itself, I'm here. Oh, I don't want to serve that. I want God. Get out the way. No, no. Comes in and slowly suffocates the life out of us, the joy out of us, the peace out of us. And I can tell you, I don't believe there's anyone in this room who's not felt that suffocating feel. We have sat in the, laid in bed late at night trying to work out the budget. How is it going to work out? How is that thing going to happen? And it feels like the life of me and the trust in my heart is being slowly suffocated. Sir, ma'am, I want to suggest to you that's the spirit of mammon. Because that's what the Bible tells us. So I want to say as we read this text, this isn't Jesus meek and mild, hippie Jesus, peace and love. This is Jesus at war for our hearts and our eternity. Because every time Jesus would speak about heaven and hell, money and mammon weren't far behind it. Because for some reason, Jesus always linked eternity with the way we steward things here on earth. So, I don't know about you, but if you, like me, want to live in God's peace, God's provision, and have my life count for more than month, living just month to month, paycheck to paycheck, and I hope that you are like me, wanting the peace, the provision, and my life to be worth more, then actually we have to go to war together this morning. And I really have faith this morning that I'm going to war with the word of God. And I believe if we respond in faith, our futures will look very different. Jesus, heightened expectation in our hearts this morning. Because God can, man cannot serve both God and mammon. Therefore, so much so, I want to give us three imperatives. If you are wanting to be free of mammon's grip on your life, three imperatives this morning. Three essentials. Number one, we need a new perspective. You see the Bible, page one. You don't have to go very far in the scriptures to find page one where God introduces himself in scriptures, his first interaction with humanity is that of a provider. Genesis 1.26 says, and God blessed humanity. And then it said to him, and he not only just blessed them, he gave them bigness and increase. He said, go be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. In, 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 in my translation of that version, is God giving his, the keys of the universe to humanity and says, it's yours. I don't know what image you've got of God, but right in that moment, it busts open the myth of a tight-fisted, mean, spirited God who's holding out on us. God introduces himself of page one of the Bible with outrageous generosity. You just have to flick over one page to see, again, the second narrative of this, of this thing called humanity is Satan enters the story. And the first thing he does is he attacks the very nature of God, this aspect of who God is towards us, a God of blessing and abundance and bigness. And Satan says to Adam and Eve, God is holding out on you. God is holding out on you. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that moment in the, in the, in the garden when they get up there and he, and he says, everything is yours. You've got everything, everything. But in the moment, Satan into the story and says, yeah, but what about that one tree? 
And in that moment, the spirit of mammon enters the heart of humanity, and the spirit of lack and excess collide, when actually we are, suddenly Adam and Eve are ruled. Stick with me. Stick with me in this moment. Everyone, look at me. Everyone, look at me. Everyone okay? You got it. These are important matters. In that moment in the garden, when he said, God, God is holding out on you, the enemy wanted to distort the image of God. In that moment, the, the, the spirit of lack and excess hits. Suddenly we realize, I don't have, but I want. Eve has a spirit of mammon grips her heart. I don't have, but I want. And all of a sudden, there's, there's a different idea because mammon distorts the image of God and reduces humanity to a people moved by base lusts and greeds rather than eternal purpose. Let me say this way, mammon gets us to live with the corruption of our eyes and not the convictions of our heart. Let me say it again, mammon gets us to live with the corruption of our eyes and not the conviction of our heart. It plays out in chapter 3 of Genesis. It says this, God is holding out on you. So it says, Eve, she opened her eyes and she saw the fruit was good to taste. She tasted the fruit and then the next line says, her eyes were opened and she saw she was naked. Eyes that were supposed to behold a provider, a God of blessing and bigness, all of a sudden were distracted and distorted and only saw her lack. And what put us sowed into humanity from that moment forward is the spirit of man that always sees our lack and our deficit and always wants the more that we don't have. Let me tell you, that's exactly what the prosperity gospel does. And maybe you haven't been in church and this means nothing to you, but I, I, I want to just make clear in this moment, the prosperity gospel is no gospel at all because actually what the prosperity gospel does at its essence, it reduces God to a heavenly butler or at best a heavenly formula of if you do X and Y, you'll get health, wealth now. Name it and claim it. If you want it, you go after it. You get it. And it puts man at the center when actually the center of the story is not man but a provider. It's a subtle, it's a subtle, it sounds good, it looks good, but it's actually not true. And actually, this is the understanding, it actually, the prosperity gospel does nothing but fuel and feed the spirit of mammon, because at, at the center of what it does is it turns the Father God into the Godfather. The Father who's a provider, who's not withholding any good thing from his children, but turns him into the, the Godfather saying, if you do X, Y, and this, you can twist God's arm to give, because he's bound by a principle. No, he's bound by his character. And this character's provider. I want to elevate this moment for us because this is what the Pharisees had done. This is why Jesus was at war with them in that moment and speaking such strong, divisive words. You can't serve God in mammon. Going for the very idol of their heart. Why? Because the Pharisees had reduced God in that moment. But actually so much so, God, Jesus had come to put a face on his father because they distorted his father and made, made him look less than he was. That actually page one of the Bible, we find God with his hand outstretched to humanity and he's never retracted, withdrawn his hand since. God, if you want to know an image of the Father, it's of a Father with his hand outstretched to humanity in outrageous generosity and blessing. You see, even in the page one, that before we did anything, we were blessed. Even when we sinned, we were blessed by a provider. Because Genesis 3 says they were sinned, they saw they were naked. The first thing the Father does was pursue them in their nakedness and clothe them and covers their nakedness. He's a provider before our sin, he's a provider after our sin. This is the Father. We need a new perspective on this. And actually so much so, he calls himself throughout Scripture, the Jeho- he calls himself Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord is my provider. Because this is why it's so huge. Generosity and provision is not what he does. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. It's not something he's manipulated into. It's what he does. It's who he is. This is 
this is Jehovah Jireh. I could go on and on, but actually all through Scripture testifies about this. In Genesis 22, we see the father providing a, a lamb in the thicket for Abraham. In the Scriptures that we keep reading, we see that he provides a deliverer for the people in Exodus, in slavery. In Scripture, we keep reading, he provides manna and quail and clothes that never, never wore out, never broke, never tore in the wilderness. Then we see that he provides a promised land for them on the other side of that journey. Every single step of the journey, he's providing, providing, providing. Psalm 23, we can all quote it almost off by heart, or at least say it at a funeral once a year. But the, the power of that moment, he says, even in the presence of your enemies, he's providing a feast for you. This is a father that's not thrown into chaos. He's always responding as a provider. He goes on in the psalmist, and that psalm says, you're surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The great theologian, Charles Spurgeon, he says that to be better translated, your goodness and mercy will hound me, will dog me, will seek me out all the days of my life. Underline all the days in your Bible, at least do it metaphorically right now in your head. All the days. That includes Mondays. It includes recession days. It includes paydays. It includes even load-shedding days. Even low-sharing days, all the days of my life, your goodness and mercy will follow me. You know, this is so huge that actually the psalmist in Psalm 2 says this. This is what God says to humanity. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Even this is said after our sin. He's not gone back on Genesis 1. He's not said, all right, that's it. You've messed up. I'm pulling back. Sorry. No, he's a father who still says, I bless you. I bless you. You were made for blessing. You were made for bigness. And this has to go because it has to war against our heart because actually the spirit of mammon wants us to see God as holding out on us. I want to tell you, scripture goes on. He says, if Jesus says in the New Testament, he says, if your fathers, though they're evil, know how to give good gifts. If your fathers on earth, though they're evil, know how to give good gifts. He says, how much more the heavenly father. Why don't you say with me? Say, how much more? Convince your heart. How much more? The Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks. This doesn't sound like a stingy father. He goes on in, in the book of Ephesians. It says this. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Blessed. I love that word blessed. It doesn't say he will bless us. He says he has. Past tense. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. My heart wants, my circumstance, my heart want to pull me away from it. So I've underlined every, every time, every blessing, every blessing. I've gone through the page almost. Because I've got to get this. My heart has to have a new perspective. Scripture goes on. 1 Peter tells us that Jesus has given us everything we need for life and godliness. In the Psalms, it tells us he has eternal pleasures forevermore at his right hand for you and I. John 14 tells us he's gone before us into eternity and prepared a space for us, a room for us. I tell you, before your sin, before you did anything, he's been providing. In your sin, he's been providing. Throughout your life, he'll be providing. In eternity, he'll be providing. This is who he is. This is what he does. He is a provider, and we have to see it with a new perspective, that lens. Because the enemy is at war of that perspective. Can you say it with me? I was made for bigness. One more time. I was made for blessing. Sounding convinced. He's not against you. He's not holding out on you. He is lavishly and outrageously for you. We have a new perspective. Secondly, we need a new practice. You see, Jesus gives us a weapon in this war against mammon. He gives us a weapon. He does it in this text. If you notice the way he navigates, Jesus is a masterful teacher. 
I want to tell you, he gives us a weapon. And he starts off, he starts off by saying, you cannot serve God and mammon. Make a decision. You can't serve both. Then the next little part, straight after he says, let me tell you the fruit of mammon is your life will be dogged about worry, fear, anxiety, lack around the things of provision. But he said, but don't worry, I'm going to give you a solution. Matthew 6.33, he lands it by saying, here's your practice, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus is a masterful teacher. Don't leave them guessing on which way we must go. He says, here's the problem. Here's the, the thesis, the, the diagnosis. Here's our response. Incredible teacher. You should see if he's available sometime. But he said, seek first the kingdom of God. And I want to say this, the spirit of mammon is taken down by generosity. thought I wouldn't get as big an amen there. The spirit of mammon is taken down by generosity. You see, why I labor saying the new perspective is because we as Christ followers, get, we, we give because we are blessed in response to his goodness. You see, this is the moment is that we understand I'm not giving out of my lack. I'm giving out of his riches. I'm giving out of a revelation of his goodness. I'm not giving out of the shallowness of my pockets. I'm giving out the depth of his provision and promise to me. You see, this is a, it turns this whole thing on its head that we have to understand. And let's work our way through that scripture, that text very quickly. It says this, seek. Seek first the kingdom. It starts off by saying seek, which is a passionate pursuit. That word seek is not some passive, religious exercise for rich people. I know, I know what happens. In church, you can be pumped up. You can be going, amen, amen, and go, let's talk about money. And everyone goes, Argh. and a tightness comes. People go, yeah, talk, you can talk about that, you can talk about this, talk about that, but don't you dare touch my money. I want to suggest to ma'am, that is what the spirit of mammon does. If that is our attitude when we go, but money is my, don't, uh, just, I'm just quoting Jesus' words. It's not a preacher, not somebody else. This is what Jesus speaks about. He puts the divine line there. But in that, this is not some passionless thing of like, oh, fine, let's do it. No, it's not. A, it's actually this, this understanding. Seek. And I love it because it's a fight. It's a war. It's an invitation to participate in a war, a spiritual war. You see, years ago, um, when I moved from Durban to Cape Town as a young 20-year-old, I, I moved here and I was coming to work at the church. And I was so excited, but I, I was plotting my way because we didn't have a large amount of resources or family. So I was thinking, okay, when I get here, I'll do public transport or I'll need to how many months will I have to walk, work before I can start getting a, a little car? But just before I came, there was a family who came from our church there who said, actually, Gabe, when you come visit you, and they came and visited me, and they, and they said, actually, we want to we give you something. And they said, yeah. And they handed keys of a car to me. And they said, here are the papers, sign this. The car outside is yours. And I remember going like, I was so flummoxed. I was like, I didn't plan this. I just, I couldn't make my head or tail of this moment. I thought it was cool. I didn't understand the economies of the moment. I didn't know what it really actually cost them. I just thought, that's so cool. But I remember leaving with an immature thought in my head going, sheesh, those people must be rich. I thought they must be rich. And I remember praying from that day for, for, for the last decade. I've been saying, God, when I'm rich, I want to give away cars because that was cool. So I thought one day when I'm rich, I want to give away cars. Last year, October, we were two months away from finishing a five-year payment plan on our Hyundai i20 monthly, paying every month. And in that dream of time, feeling stretched and feeling the money was never enough and feeling the pressure of, of this grip of anxiety and worry, how we'll do it. But we're two months out. And I looked over the horizon, I saw December, and I was like, in December, we'll have this whew, buffer of money and I'll be able to relax and have peace around finance. And I was like, I can't wait for December. In October, my wife leaves church. I tell you, be careful of church. God seems to speak here. 
We're driving home, and my wife says, hey, Gabe, God, God spoke to me this morning during worship. And I went, oh, you are a Proverbs 31 woman. Honestly, good looks, spirituality, it's amazing. I said, let me guess, did the Lord commend you for marrying well? Huh? Huh? I said, yeah, that, but um, I said, I heard God say um, that we must, once we've paid off the car, we must give it away. I was like, turn off the radio. Just a little bit, uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds fun. What's put into motion was the next two months of, I said, yeah, that's good to her. But internally, it was a wrestle of all wrestles. What I've come to realize was a wrestle with the spirit of mammon. Because anxiety and fear started to grip my heart. As I started saying, if we sell that car, we can get X amount. Then we'll be able to do it. How we will ever get, we need, we're having a second kid. And that car is actually the bigger car of the two. So why don't we, if we give away that one, maybe we, or actually God, that car we lend to people in December. We're generous with it when we, because we, when we want to leave, we lend to other people. So it serves your kingdom already, God. Why would you do this to me? And I start thinking, we've just made this, that, that buffer. Now we're doing that. And now we'll be one car short. And I'm trying to work all the logics out. And I got to a stage where I just knew if I, I need to tell somebody, or I'm going to go mad. So I met somebody and I was hoping that they were going to say, I put all the case, you know, we've got a second coming. I, you know, I don't know if it's a wise thing, but I, you know, my wife says we should give the car away. Hoping they'll say, yeah, it's not wise. Unfortunately, the person went, that's awesome. I was like, yeah, it is. Hey, <laughs> woo. In the January, when we finally eventually sat down and I handed the keys over to someone, I got to a place in this wrestle with the spirit of mammon. This wasn't a natural wrestle. It wasn't something because anxiety and worry and fear and lack based on actually, but I've done this. I've paid for this every month. How am I going to look after my, this thing that gripped me there? That girl this moment when I said, and with the absolute truth in my heart, I said to him, actually, I know this car will bless you, but I promise you, and I know it sounds cliche, I said, this is a bigger blessing for me to let go of it. I really do, because in that moment, I really felt, can I tell you, in that moment, as the keys went across, as the name of the car was transposed from mine to his, in that one moment, I felt the spirit of mammon just break in my life. And I promise you, in that moment where anxiety, worry, and fear was, joy and abundantly, abundant peace flooded in. So much so, I was so excited. Fee and I ran home. We were like, let's give away the fridge. <laughs> the, just we couldn't contain the joy. I tell you, on the back of that, I, I, I say on the back of that, I believe that God broke the spirit of mammon. Seek. He says seek. But he goes on. He doesn't just say a passionate pursuit. He says seek first. And first indicates a persistent priority. You see, Jesus calls us to do something, not second, not third, not fourth, but first. In light of mammon and finances and money, in light of our anxiety, worry, and fear, it's not a separate passage. You can't take seek first the kingdom devoid of eternity and money. It's just this bad exegesis. You're reading the scripture wrong. It's not about a new set of priorities. It's about money and trust. So he says, seek first the kingdom. He's saying not in response to what we have left over, but in response to trust and trust to him. You see, as Christ follows the people of the new humanity that Jesus was creating, called out of this world into his story, we are people not bound by the economies of mammon. We are people not bound by the economies of this world. We are people whose blessing, provision, and increase does not come from mammon. And that's why Jesus says, and the powerful thing, if you go read the text before he gets to this moment, in the beginning of Matthew 6, he's speaking to the idols of their heart, and he actually says, I want to tell you, I want to feel you and give you practices, three secret weapons. He says, I want you to do in secret. He says, when you pray, do it in secret. He says, when you fast, do it in secret. He says, and when you give, do it in secret. 
which was opposed to the Pharisees' way because they applauded the big givers. They gave them big seats up at the front. They said, well done. And actually, can I tell you, it is so wonderful that I gave away a car because can I tell you, automatically people think good of me. I'm being honest. And somehow, even though it was a big moment, the enemy is so subtle, he can come and take that thing and go, yeah, well done. You're at the center of your giving. When actually Jesus puts a principle in motion, now I'm all for that, but but I tell you, the extravagant generosity that we all want is not going to be based on mammon saying now, okay, you've got enough, you can give now. We all say, when I'm rich, when I'm rich. And even when I say that, when I'm rich, I'll give away a car. Can I tell you what that must mean? It must mean I'm rich right now, because I gave away a car. I don't know what your equation of richness is, but I gave away a car. So according to 20-year-old Gabe, I'm rich. But according to Scripture, I am rich. It's a different perspective. It's not by what I gain, but it's by what I give away. And I want to believe that that's the first of many cars I'll give away. But as we see this, the secret, I think it riled up the Pharisees because secret giving means I'm not the center. You see, there's a powerful moment that happens every week in our services. It goes by almost unnoticed sometimes. It just happens under the radar. But it's a powerful spiritual warfare moment. That the enemy wants to dumb down, wants to put it on the side. But actually, it's a powerful spiritual warfare when the people of God respond not to the economies of this world, but respond to a revelation of Him. It's called the, the moment that the offering buckets go around. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, that actually, that's not a call say, oh, we need church finances. It's a warfare moment saying, actually, He's after our hearts. God is after our hearts. Will you serve God or will you serve mammon? And He's not after an amount. Jesus never mentions an amount. He's after the priority of our hearts. My friend Chris and I went to Zimbabwe a few years ago, and there was an amazing moment that, that has never left me. We were in the rural areas, and Chris said there was this moment where it was the poorest of poor communities. And as, they, as of the, the moment came the service, and we had come all the way to bless them, and they said, we're going to take up tithes and offering. And in the poor community, everything in our Western culture goes, oh, don't do that now. They've got nothing. We should give them stuff. Why, why are we doing this? And, and, and the moment came, I remember we watched as the people, the poorest of the poor, and they, they gave the little they had. And there was a couple of ladies who, with an offering basket, went past them. And they put their hands in their pockets, pulled out nothing because they were dirt poor. But in fact, they held the bucket, praying, and put their hand as an action to put it into the bucket. And something has gripped me with that story. That actually, because God says it's, it's never been about the amount, it's about the posture of your heart in response to me. And actually, this is the understanding for you and I. I want to say, don't let that moment just pass by. Come prepared. Come with faith. Even to this day, we've made new decisions as a team. And actually, that moment, we're reappropriating that moment for our own hearts. Saying, actually, uh, every time that bucket comes past, whether I put money in or not, I hold it and say, Jesus, I thank you that I do not serve mammon. I'm not bound by fear, anxiety, and worry in this regard. I'm bound to a different economy, one with a provider who has never failed. When that bucket, imagine that changes the whole tone in table view, an area of lack and of single parent homes and homes that are just on the breadline often. We get you to, as a countercultural community, declare a different verdict over our community saying, we're a people who do not bow our knee to the systems of this world. We have a provider who'll make a way. Imagine if that, we start the spiritual warfare moment there. For time's sake, the New Testament charge in this war to us gives us three appeals in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. It says our giving must be consistent. The first thing my wife and I do every month, the first thing, not on the back of once we've worked out the budget, does this work? The first thing is we do is we give financially. We've made a, a consistent habit in our lives because actually why? Not because it's a requirement, but I'm at war for my heart. And I know my heart is easily suffocated by mammon, but I serve a different king. So I do this first thing. And actually, I have, 
we've set up as an EFT, but I don't just let the thing go off every month on its own. I press send by faith every month. Because every month I'm making a statement saying, actually, Jesus, I don't serve money. I serve you. Consistent. There's a consistent element to this thing. Secondly, the sacrificial. The possible causes to sacrificial. It's not about equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. So much so, he says, each of you should decide in your heart what you should give. Key word there is decide. Not just let it, uh, see, let's see how the month goes. Let's see how this goes. Because when it's in response to that, we're responding to a different system. Jesus makes the divide very clear. It's God or mammon. And this is one way we fight. And go, actually, I'm laying my life down against that thing. Sacrificial. Thirdly, it says cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. Not under compulsion or reluctance, but with joy. Can I tell you the most generous people are the most joyful people. And I'll, t- I'll tell you, find a joyful person, you'll find generosity not far away. I believe that God wants to bring joy in this area where there's worry, anxiety, fear, nervousness, lack, and just struggling through. God wants to bust open reservoirs of joy, but it's on the back of generosity. Thirdly, he says this, seek a passionate pursuit. First, a persistent priority. It says the kingdom of God, a prevailing power. For time's sake, I'll just tell you, link your money to eternity. Luke 16, where Jesus teaches a similar sermon, and he, four times he mentions mammon, he says, actually, by our giving with, with, with mammon here, with unrighteous mammon on this side, by our giving, we'll reap souls in eternity. It's the only thing that is eternal rewards, that actually that boast will rust, that holiday house will go, will, will disappear. Your, your, everything will go, explode around you. But can I tell you, when you sow into the kingdom of God, that thing reaps rewards. Jesus' words, not mine. Luke chapter 16, verse 11 also says that our, our spiritual act of giving releases true authority. How do I know that? As I said, Luke 11, 16, 11 says, if you are untrustworthy with unrighteous mammon, who will trust you with eternal riches? The kingdom of God. We are people who give in a different response system. Third and finally this morning, we've got a new perspective, we've got a new practice, but we've also got a new provision. That scripture, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, ends with this caveat, this promise, and all these things will be added to you. It's not a prosperity preacher. It's not an organization saying that. It's Jesus saying it. He wasn't misquoted. This is so huge for you and I because there's a promise to a people who pick up a new perspective and a new practice. It's not a carrot dangling in front of us that will always elude our grasp. He promises us. And why I have certainty about this is because of the person who said it. Jesus came, who was the word made flesh. Jesus, who was there in Genesis 1, who wasn't devoid of that moment in eternity path when the hand of the Father was opened up in blessing and bigness to humanity. The word then has become flesh. And Jesus is now stating, I am the provider and now I've come as the provision. It's the only, the biggest difference between every other religion in the world. Ours is the only one that says we have a provider, but actually he's not one that is, that is appeased by sacrifice on our part. He's appeased by sacrifice on his part. He's the provider and the provision. So much so, John three sixteen says this, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world. He was, his love, he was motivated by, not by, by our sin or a need or a lack. He was motivated by the abundance of his heart. Jesus was never given as only remedy for sin. Can I tell you why? Because he was slain before the creation of the world. He wasn't a response to our brokenness. He was an overflow of the Father's heart. For God so loved the world, he had a passionate pursuit that he gave his one and only son. He had this first nature in his heart that actually he didn't say, ah, what can we spare in heaven? 
Can we send some of those angels? They've been a bit lazy. No, no, no. He sent his only son. He sent the jewel of heaven. Leverage that. And this is the hugest, the biggest thing of a lot. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave, that whoever may believe in him will not die, but have eternal life. God himself linked his generosity with eternity. He said, I'm not doing this only now for a response now. I'm doing this for an eternal reward, a eternal response for the joy set before him. This is the power of this moment is that actually the fact of the whole thing is that we find the story culminates where it says that Jesus died. Now, let me tell you, maybe it sounds silly, but Jesus died not because his life expired of old age. It's also not Jesus died because of a calamity. He got hit by a bus. Didn't see that one coming. No, it says Jesus died. He gave up his life willingly. This is what, that's why that Jesus died has power because he gave it up willingly. This is so huge for you and I, because as Romans 8 verse 32 says, it'll be on the screen behind me as we land, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I want to tell you, Jesus went to war in our sinful and rebellious hearts with ultimate generosity and sacrifice. With ultimate generosity and sacrifice. And this is how anxiety, fear, worry, lack, and the spirit of mammon is broken. It's not by a prosperity gospel. It's not a poverty gospel. It's the gospel. Having a new perspective of the provider. In response, having a new practice. But because we have a confidence that he's already the provision God before us. Let me tell you in this moment, you were made life changers for blessing and bigness. You were made for blessing and bigness. But I wanted to make the declaration as Jesus did, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon will distort, shrink, and hold back in fear when God wants to release us into the fullness he has. So let's go to war together today, if that's all right, as we land this time. I really believe that the spirit of fear, lack, anxiety, worry is unmasked. But now we have to respond to take it down.